scripture this morning is found on page 6. It's Luke 22, 14 through 15, and 19 through 34. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine at the tab- on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been dec- decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the and the and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. This is the word of the Lord. How are we doing? Good. Well, last week, I uh, wrote uh, the members, the formal members of Grace Meridian Hill, the uh, official uh, members of our community, uh, notifying them that we are entering a new season of considering leadership, opening nominations for elders, deacons, deaconesses, time where we want to collectively as a community be praying about who God might be raising up and calling and equipping uh, to lead, to serve uh, in this community. It's an exciting time, in fact. It's a little marker, of course, of the way that our community, our church continues to evolve and to grow. And so to be here again, as we have been in the past of inviting input from members of the church to contribute to this process, uh, a wonderful thing. Please pray for it. And so next week, we're going to be dealing in this teaching time with specific questions that you all might have immediately. What is an elder? What is a deacon, a deaconess? Uh, what are qualifications for these roles of leadership? And who should I be looking for if I'm nominating? And if I'm not, just from my own understanding of how the church functions and what kind of leaders we're looking for, 
Uh, we'll tackle some of those specifics next week. Today, in this time right now, I'd like to look at a broader question, which is relevant, yes, to this question of elders and deacons and deaconesses, but far beyond that, more broadly, looking at this topic of leadership, of leadership. Let's look at that together. Let me say a word of prayer before we dive in. God, we're asking for your help. We do need your help, especially on this area of life that can be so confusing in so many ways. Good examples, bad examples that we've seen, experienced, that we have been. I know that's the case for me. So we need your kindness to instruct us by your word, by your spirit. So please come. Bless this time. We expect you to. We believe your promises. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whether you yourself work at the coop, just around the corner, or at high hop down the street, you know this to be true. Waiting tables is hard work. Waiting tables is hard work. You know it. Forbes magazine recently printed an, uh, an article or piece that is entitled The Most Important Life Lesson from Waiting Tables. The article quotes a marketing executive who insists, uh, I think, she says, everyone should spend some time waiting tables or working in retail. And she cites empathy and time management and working under pressure as some of the lessons that she learned while serving as a waiter in college. But even as the author of this article attempts to redeem this important line of work, he acknowledges that it is really a hard line of work. Uh, he writes, yes, customers can be bossy or rude. Sometimes you don't even seem to matter. Uh, there are too many customer requests every minute. Someone has a request that sends you scurrying back to the kitchen, and you'll be looking for a new job if you dare to serve back even a fraction of the attitude that the world's worst patron is dishing out to you. By the way, God bless you, dear waiters and waitresses here. Which is why it's fascinating to understand that Jesus teaches about leadership in this passage here. And he says, you want to be a leader? You want to know what kind of leader to follow? Leadership in my kingdom, he says, looks like this. And just when you expect him to point to a wealthy business person or a visionary nonprofit leader or a charismatic elected official, he goes on to point to a waiter. Here he comes, bringing you your third refill of Diet Coke. There's leadership in my kingdom. You know, the whole situation in this passage is embarrassing. It just is. The timing was terrible. That very same night, just a few hours later, Jesus would be betrayed, arrested, crucified, killed. He's sharing his very last meal with his closest followers and friends 
the 12 men who in verse 14 are called his apostles, which is simply a word that means the sent ones. They were Jesus's messengers, his representatives, his deputies sent out into the world with his authority. In other words, they were his leaders. And here they are in verse 24, getting into, of all things, an argument over which one of them was to be considered the greatest. Of course, we'd be quicker to judge if if it weren't so easy to imagine ourselves in exactly the same position, doing the exact same thing. And here Jesus replies in verse 25 through verse 27. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who's at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I among you But I am among you as one who serves. There are two kinds of leaders. The first kind is far more common with a leadership style that's far more, you might say, natural. It's the way leadership is normally approached. Jesus uses examples, uh, the kings of the Gentiles, of the nations of the world, those who exercise authority of all kinds, those who call themselves benefactors. Benefactors, you know, in the Roman world, benefactors were elite, wealthy, influential Roman citizens. They would give gifts and offer charity to meet different kinds of needs all throughout the city, which sounds great, right? But it was actually very well known that they only did this, their charity, their do-gooding, their generosity, they only did it when it made them look good, when they got public credit for it, or when it improved their social status. In fact, in that society, guess what you had to be if you wanted to run for public office? Guess what you had to be and do? B, if you wanted to climb the social ladder. That's right, a big shot, well-known, public, generous benefactor. See, that's what, what you might call benefactor leaders are like. In it for themselves, in love with status and honor, domineering in their leadership style. It's fear-driven leadership and ego-driven leadership. And sadly, it's all too familiar, isn't it? Even in my own heart. How about you? Verse 26, Jesus says in no uncertain terms, you are not to be like that. But what's the alternative? What is the alternative? The leader who leads, Jesus says, like the youngest. And of course, in the ancient world, the youngest in age was by definition the lowliest. 
The leader who leads, Jesus said, like the one who serves at the table. See, actually, the ones he was referring to, they're actually more than simply waiters, professional waitstaff that we're so familiar with that some of you might actually be. That's just the easiest way for us modern folk to connect with this lesson, at least initially. Jesus was actually talking about the first century house servant. You know, the one that wasn't invited to the table, that wasn't a part of the important conversations going on. The table servants that weren't eating the meal, the ones that were serving the meal. Not only bringing food, they're also washing feet removing the dirt, even the excrement from the dinner guest soil feet. See, benefactor leaders are those who are seated at tables, waiting and looking to be treated at honor, as honored guests, being served by those around them. Servant leaders, on the other hand, are those who are on their feet, standing by the table, or on their knees, tending to the feet below the table. They're on call. They meet the needs of others. They put the needs of others before their own. Which is why the supreme example of servant leadership, of course, is Jesus. As he said it himself in verse 27, who's greater in the eyes of the world? The one who's at the table or the one who serves? Of course, isn't it the one who's at the table? But I am the one among you who serves. Jesus, who in the gospel of Mark said the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who according to the Gospel of John in chapter 13 said, in this very same conversation, he not only taught them, he showed them what he meant. Literally disrobing himself, taking the posture of a slave, grabbing a foot wash basin, getting beneath his disciples and starting to scrub down their feet getting between the toes, taking the stench and the soil upon himself. And he says, be like me. This Jesus who in serving this meal, which was actually the Passover meal, in serving bread and wine and passing it around, we see in verse 19 and 20, he says, here's bread and here's wine. It should tell you a little bit about my body that's going to break and my blood that's going to be poured out for you. Referring to his sacrificial death, dying for our sins. Taking upon himself God's judgment that we deserve for all of our selfishness and judgment of others. That in the cross, God, like the original Passover, for all who embrace Jesus, God might in mercy pass over in forgiveness, in kindness, and in love. As Christian author Oswald Sander put it, true greatness, true leadership is found in giving yourself in service to others, not in coaxing or inducing others 
to serve you. Are we getting it? That the followers of Jesus are to be different from the world in the way that they lead. Different, different, different. This is the call. This is the vision. Before we move on, just to pose a couple questions as we ponder this. I mean, really, what normally comes to mind first when you hear the word leader? What's the image, the picture, the qualities, the characteristics that come to your mind? Does it fit what Jesus is describing as servant leadership? What needs to change in your definition? What needs to be adjusted or turned upside down, maybe even, in your picture of what a leader ought to be? And how do you yourself lead? Whatever type of role of leadership you might be in, keeping in mind that leadership at its heart is really just influence. That's all it is. Using your gifts, your talents, your experience, your wisdom, your knowledge to influence a person towards a common goal, which tells us that leadership is exercised by more people than we think, even yourself, whether you have a formal position or title or not. Whether if you are a supervisor at work or if you are a parent raising a child or if you're a member of the community or if you are a friend, even a kid, that just happens to be the sort of person that your friends look up to and ask for guidance from, if that's you, you are leading this is relevant for all of us beyond simply those of you who also might be called or nominated to be an elder or a deacon or a deaconess. Whoever you are in whatever leadership-ish callings that God has placed you in, are you sitting or are you serving? Are you being served or are you waiting tables and washing feet? Servant leadership, Jesus leadership. But what does it really mean? I mean, really, practically, what does that really look like? I mean, does that mean that it, I just need to be nice all the time? Does that mean I need to be a doormat in my workplace? Is it right to have any ambitions or dreams? You know, all these questions that we can talk about, and we will in our Q&A time right afterwards, but can we touch upon a few things in fleshing this out a little bit? What is a servant leader? Let's talk about it. Number one, servant leaders pursue people, not glory. Servant leaders pursue people, not glory. You see, benefactor leaders are always seduced by titles. Jesus said, they're ones who are always calling themselves something, benefactor, leader. What is it that you most lust after? What is it that you most want to be called or to refer to or you're always reminding people that you're this or that? Benefactor leaders are consumed with their reputation, with their status, with recognition, getting angry when they don't get credit for work that they feel like was theirs. They lead out of pride, 
They lead for the purposes of glory. They want to be known, respected, recognized. Ultimately, benefactor leaders are motivated by personal gain, just like that first century person that, yeah, did do charitable works, but really for the purposes of climbing the social ladder. So in the same way, benefactor leaders, whatever they might be doing on the surface, deep down, are motivated ultimately by personal gain. Look, I want you to believe I'm doing good for other people or for the company or for the community or for the family, but really, you know, I'm doing it for me. Servant leaders are different. For servant leaders, no task is too lowly. No person is too lowly to love, to care for, to walk with. The servant leader is someone that's always saying, is there anything else that I can do? Is there anyone else that I can care for? You know, it's not saying that servant leaders are people with terrible personal boundaries or people that don't know how to say no to anything, but rather they are people that serve on call, that put other people first. I mean, just take the image, the picture of the person waiting on tables, waiting on guests that they are saying are their superiors. You're hungry, but you're helping to feed other people first. Putting the needs and interests of others before your own. Philippians 2 says a similar thing, laying aside selfish ambition and making your neighbor numero uno not just in your actions, but in your heart. Who is it that most fills your mind? Whose concerns, whose cares, whose needs are most at the tip of your tongue and fill your daydreams? The servant leader says, it's not mine, it's yours. It's yours. The servant leader is the one who in fact, even in putting other people's needs before them, rises up in action and in confident, deliberate initiative taking. See, here's the thing. A lot of people, we hear the word servant leadership and we say, oh, that must be only a mild person that stands on the sidelines. Get this. Sometimes if you're really putting other people first, it makes you, even forces you to have to take action and not remain passive to overcome what might be natural indecisiveness to say no for the good of another person I must not just be the way I want to be but I must actively carefully thoughtfully sacrificially leadingly go out of my way to meet someone else's need and labor for their good. The servant leader doesn't always look to take credit for what they've accomplished. And you can understand how important it is, therefore, for the servant leader, here's their secret, to be someone that understands 
that they are someone by God's grace who is already seated at a table of honor. See, Jesus tells them this already. In verse 28, you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my father conferred one on me so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You're able to take a low place because you know in the mind and heart of God spiritually you're sitting on a throne. You're ruling and reigning as a prince, a princess. You've been given authority, status, and glory beyond what you can imagine in Colossians when the Apostle Paul says, set your mind on things above where you are already seated. You are seated on the throne of God. Do you believe it? Because if your heart is filled with that reality of honor and esteem and status spiritually in the kingdom of God. You don't need to keep on robbing other people for honor. You don't need to keep on stealing glory in everything that you do in the way that you lead, stomping on people and crushing them so that you can look good and feel good. Because you can't improve upon sitting at God's right hand, can you? It doesn't get any higher than that. How high do you want to go? And the higher you see yourself as being seated, the lower you can go. Which, of course, is the story of Jesus. Who, though th was the most exalted one, lowered himself out of love. Is this the story of the gospel that you're coming to know? The servant leader puts people first and pursues people and not glory. But secondly, the servant leader also freely admits their flaws. You see, the benefactor leader is just always so concerned about what other people think because it really matters your reputation uh, whether people respect you and listen to you uh, whether people actually honor the titles and the reputation that you've built up you're always working to uh, impress you're always concerned about your image which in fact is also why a lot of benefactor leaders are often paralyzed with indecision or passivity, because you're just so consumed by fear. You're trying to please every person, which sometimes means you're pleasing no one. Or you're running around from thing to thing, driven by fear. What if I fail? This might not work. What if I look bad? But whatever I must do, I must not let them know the truth that I might actually be bad. You see, benefactor leaders always live with that quiet suspicion that one day they might actually be found out. Because whatever your role of leadership is, whether a parent or a community leader or a boss, you know deep down inside, if you're willing to be honest, you're not as good as you want other people to believe. And that makes us nervous 
and scared and defensive <laughs> and proud and boastful and all these things. Servant leaders are different, dear friends. Servant leaders are humbly confident in their ability. Yeah, they are able to say, this is what I'm good at. This is what I've accomplished. But they're also quick to add, but it's only by God's grace because everything that I am and everything I can do is only by the help and the grace of God. And even more than that, they're actually convinced that apart from God's grace, in that leadership role, they're prone to screw up the whole thing. The whole company, the entire family, whatever scope of responsibility they have, if not for the power of the Spirit in their lives. See, servant leaders are slowly able to learn that, yes, I am flawed, but I'm loved. Yes, I am flawed and broken, but I'm approved by God. And slowly, free and freer to admit their failures and flaws. I was recently looking at a story about the company Jawbone, which is just a cutting-edge, leading tech company. A lot of you probably have different products of theirs. and was actually founded and uh, currently led by Jose and Rahman, who who, who happened to go to my high school. It's one of these things where I'm still getting my head around, uh, doing pretty well, apparently. But the story that I read in Fortune magazine tells the story of a, a critical juncture in the life of the company when they were a booming but yet still fragile company. Uh, they put out their Bluetooth headset, which was a smashing success, came out with a jam box, portable speaker, um, and now came time to launch their latest product, uh, the Up Fitness tra Trainer Bracelet, which I don't know if any of you happen to have it. They worked on this, invested tens of millions of dollars, uh, really as tech companies go, you know, lined up their entire reputation and future behind this next product launch, which was set to happen just in time for holiday shopping in 2011 until, guess what? It didn't work. People started buying up the product at different stores and started coming back saying it, it's not working right. Uh, writing reviews, just tearing it apart. It's looking bad for the company, the company's future, for Hossein, the leader himself. I mean, you know how it is in the tech world, just how brutal both customers and investors could be, I mean, surely this was going to sink the company. And so, of course, they go into hyperdrive mode and troubleshooting, trying to figure out what is going on here. Night after night, 24-7, around the clock for a week, troubleshooting, researching, taking apart the product, working the phones, until finally the company leader decided, all right, we have to write a letter. He penned it, passed it around the company, apologizing for the flawed product with, with just brutal honesty, just saying, we have failed you. We have put out a flawed product and then offered a full refund, e 
even if your product works just fine and you decide to keep it. In other words, you can just have it for free. Uh, that, that's how confident we are in what we're putting out, but that's also how contrite we are in what we've put before you, broken good. Tony Fidel commenting in this article, he's the guy who built the iPod for Apple. Uh, he showed a lot of empathy for this incredibly hard decision to write a letter like that. He, he says uh, it's incredibly hard to write a letter like that, but it really is the only way. If you try to bury it, it's always going to be lingering until you own it and you move on. Of course, long story short, customers happily, if still a bit critically, accepted the apology. The company recovered and it's doing all right, doing just fine. You know, the, the title of the article that I read about this was called Hossein Rahman's Beautiful Failure. Beautiful Failure. The servant leader is someone that's actually willing to lead through and in beautiful failure that aren't just running from the possibility that they might be found out as being flawed and limited. But to lead out of these moments where just when you want to hide and just when you want to lie, you step into that place and you serve as a parent who asks his daughter for forgiveness which then encourages the daughter herself to repent when she screws up. Or a manager who admits, I made a bad decision, or I spoke to you poorly, and in doing that builds trust with the person that he's leading. What, what kind of beautiful failures might God be calling you to lead in and through and out of. A serving leader is able to say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. A serving leader is someone that's able to be repentant and to call it how it is and to say the, the, the chief reason is because your confidence needs to not be in me but in our chief leader, Jesus. Because your greatest hope is not in following a perfect version of me, but a perfect version of the one who is perfect, Jesus, the Savior of sinners, our King. You see, the servant leader is the one who knows that they are one invited to the table of the King. They're one that is loved and approved. They're ones that know that they are in with God the Father, not because of all their past successes, but because of grace. Salvation is a gift. This relationship is a gift, unearned, unmerited, guaranteed by the blood of Jesus. It's an astonishing thing that the servant leader is someone who's coming to understand that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has invited you over for dinner. And not just for one night or one day, but every day because he's adopted you into his family. You're a son of the King. You're a daughter of the King. 
And so you can come with warts and bruises and all and say, I'm flawed, aren't I? And not hide, even as you leave. The servant leader freely admits his or her flaws. Lastly, the servant leader empowers other people. Empowers other people. See, benefactor leaders are all about exercising power top down. As Jesus said, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. It's all about control. There's rigidity in the way that things must get done. It's why benefactor leaders are known for micromanaging. Uh, it's, it's really at the heart of it about control because underneath it all is fear. What if things fall apart? What if I fall apart? What if I'm exposed as a leader? I mean, some of the most insecure leaders I know actually are micromanagers, overly in control. I know that's the case for me. When I'm at my most fearful, I'm pressed in a little bit too closely. You have, of course, the bullying leader silencing all opposition, punishing failures, where everyone around the person starts to become overly cautious, only doing just the bare minimum that's required because the name of the game is to conform, not to create. <laughs> don't, don't do your best, just don't get in trouble. Just stay out of the way, spending so much energy as a leader, keeping control that there's so little energy left for leading in creative and effective ways. This benefactor leader, therefore, just ends up being isolated, doing it all alone, unable to work with other people, unable to respect other people's gifts, critical of everyone else around them, never wrong, paranoid, insecure. Does it sound familiar? Sounds like me a lot of the time. The servant leader is so different. You know, servants don't live with the illusion of power. <laughs> servants are very well acquainted with the fact that they don't have it all under control. A servant's business is literally empowering those at the table, serving food, keeping people alive, full of life, getting calories, nutrition, and conversation into them. You see, servant leaders delegate, empower, give to other people, release people to be leaders in their own right. Not stealing authority, not stealing attention, not stealing credit, but giving authority, giving attention, giving credit and opportunity to other people. Secure enough to invite input and coordinate ideas, not threatened by a better idea, but collaborating with the final goal of doing better collectively in mind. Able to give up control and power when needed. The servant leader, that wh that's why maybe unexpectedly, is actually more courageous, less insecure, more able to take risks, more flexible. Why? Because the servant leader is someone that's coming to know that no matter how hard you try as a leader, you're never 100% in control anyway. But God is in control. Again, where God and Jesus tells us that you're ones who have been conferred a kingdom, given authority and leadership, sitting on a throne. But as Jesus said in verse 29, I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one 
on me. Which means, of course, simply, Jesus is king. Jesus is in control. That Jesus holds all things together in his hands. That he is the one who is arranging all things, giving you this share in bringing apart or bringing up a healthy and whole family or church or community or company. This is the promise of God upon the servant leader that in self-surrender and in generous control, letting go kinds of leadership, that the sovereign power of Jesus might actually show up. But it takes that step of humility, that step of acknowledging that I am not king. Jesus is. Servant leadership, not benefactor leadership. But it all begins with understanding, dear friends, that you're honored guests at the king's table. That you are seated at the throne of the king. That you are loved and honored. That you have been given status. You are exalted. If that's true, if that just might be true for you, what kind of leader might you be? Let's pray. So we ask God that you would transform our hearts in the way that we use the responsibilities and roles that you've given to us, all different kinds, that we would lead differently because of the life of Jesus in us, changing us, we want to lead like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.